If there's one phrase that sums up the physical therapy profession, that phrase would be, it depends. Welcome to the Tales from the Plant podcast, where we will explore the notorious it depends phrase through interesting and in-depth interviews with physical therapists from all types of practice. Join us for inspiration, laughs, and tips and tricks in starting and improving your clinical practice. Welcome Welcome to to Tales Tales from from the Plant podcast. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Today we have Kim Waters. Kim, say hello. Hey, everyone. How's it going? So Kim is a 2013 graduate of Gannon's uh, PT program. So Kim, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days? Sure. Um, Just a little background. I did go to undergrad at Gannon. I was um, a basketball player for five years. I did that um, victory lap my senior year. Was lucky enough to get into the PT program. Um, Started and, and finished in 2013. Um, I started my career down in Florida on, at a nursing home. Uh, that was an interesting, uh, an interesting transition right out of school because I was the only PT at the nursing home. Um, I was there for five years, and I worked PR and a few other places, including a, a local hospital. Um, and I got a call one day, and they said, hey, we got a full-time opening um, at this you know, level two trauma center uh, that I was working at PRN, and I had quit at that time. Um, do you want to come back full time? And I was like, Hey, why not? This would be cool. Let's do this. So I was I started in 2018 here at the hospital. Um, after a year, I became a lead um, PT for acute care, um, which was great because um, I got a lot of experience with leadership and things like that, and working with doctors, nurses, all in the hospital on quality improvement. And then last year, around March of 2020, um, I had the opportunity to move up to management. So I've been a manager here for about a year. Um, which has been a really great experience. So um, that's where I'm at right now. Wow, that's awesome. You've had a heck of a, a heck of a seven year run then, just starting off. Yeah, no. it's been a very busy, busy year. And then I also have two little ones. I have a two and a half year old and a five year old, a four and a half year old, she's almost five. Oh, so you don't have much going on then, that's what you're saying. You're not busy no. at all. No, not at all. <laughs> Something you said that kind of, I don't know, I just saw Dave, Dave zooming with us right now. His eyebrows went up a little bit. You said you were the only PT, like coming out of school, you got hired and you were the only PT, like in the nursing home? Yeah, so, in, and I don't know if anyone else had this situation, but in Florida, especially, like, there's a, there was a huge need for PTs. So, before I even graduated, I was interviewing at places. And the interviews were super interesting because it wasn't like, hey, you know, like, it wasn't a formal interview. It was like, hey, so when can you start? Like, it's like, we need you. I'm not even kidding. It was, I didn't even know I was in, on an interview. They were basically like, okay, so, you know, when are you done? And so when I passed my boards, my job was, I, I worked when, as soon as I got that letter. So, the, yep, the, the nursing home was a, um, there was only a PTA, and I really lucked out because she was very experienced and had been there a long time. Gosh, I got so lucky. The, the staff there just took me in, and I was new, and, it, and it, there was definitely some challenges where I was just like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know what I'm doing. Um, but it, I really learned a lot about myself, and I learned a lot about how to handle a situation where I'm like, hey, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing here, but we're going to get through this, that kind of stuff. Um, have you, either of you guys been on rotations in a nursing home yet or any type of uh, subacute care? No, we haven't been out to clinic yet because of the pandemic. 
okay. So um, you don't know what you're going to get, especially in acute care. So like right now at the hospital, you can do a chart review on someone and think you know what you're walking into, but then you get in the room and it's not what you're expecting. It's like a practical, like, but crazier. You know what I mean? But real, real life practical. Oh. So, um, so I really learned a lot um, working on my toes, figuring out how to get through situations that were challenging. But you know what was cool is once I got my feet on the ground, I was able to manage the patients, and they, they were all my patients. You know, so I worked with a PTA, and every evalu- every evaluation I did, I would either you know oversee through my PTA or I would be taken care of. So I really got to develop those relationships and and see patients, you know, leave the nursing home. You know, not everybody stays there full time, but then you you get to know your residents, you know, the full timers, the ones that live there, they're like your family. I still go back and visit. There's that's how connected I was with some of these residents. Um so I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I didn't want to leave. I just thought that the opportunity came up to, to, to move to a new place that was closer to my home. I had I had one child at that point, so I made the decision to leave. But I really I loved my experience there. It was really it was really fun. It's really awesome. It seems like a lot of your career thus far has been defined by getting into pretty serious roles pretty quickly. I mean, from the nursing home to the you know more acute care setting to being a manager in the acute care setting now. Um, how confident did you feel coming out of PT school to start those pretty significant roles? Um, I mean, at first I wasn't. I was kind of in, <laughs> in a fake you know, you make it kind of role. But I will tell you that um, a lot of I can accredit a lot of my my personality and, and leadership to um, my sport, my involvement in sports. Um, uh, gosh, uh, my. Playing college basketball made me allow to allow myself to learn how to juggle a bunch of different things and how to be a part of a team and and how important leadership is and that's one of the things I really enjoy. That's one of the things I really enjoy about my job right now is that I get to support my team and I get to help improve our program and talk about hey, what's the best way we can treat our patients? Um, what are we doing? What research is coming out that we can implement and educate? our staff on because what you'll find is a lot of times you know people have different opinions on things so um even even doctors gosh you know um there was a debate going on between a couple therapists on whether we can mobilize someone with a femoral um a a femoral line and you know we had to go look at the research and see what was out there and and get the doctors involved and figure out what was the safest thing for that patient um so i really love a team, working as a team, no matter what we do. So, and my, with my personality, I think a lot of people um, kind of get drawn to listening because I talk a lot, <laughs> but also I try to stay as humble as possible. So, getting into these leadership roles has been comfortable for me, um, and I've been very fortunate. Like I'm always the one that's like, gosh, I, I don't know, everything just kind of happens the way it is. But, you know, like. One thing comes to another. I wasn't looking for a job to move here. I wasn't looking to be manager, but it just happened. And and I think that that's kind of where I'm supposed to be. You know, I just kind of pop in whenever something a new opportunity comes up. Yeah, I think it's crazy that, you know, the opportunities come up where you don't expect them. But it's like you got to take them, you know. I think wherever you end up, you're going to learn something from it, which is really cool. 
Um, so can you talk a little bit about, um, I know we were chatting a little bit before we started, but I know it's a big thing in healthcare now is this interprofessional collaboration. How does that kind of play a role both um, at your time in the nursing home and now as a rehab manager at the trauma center? So um, the cool, one of the cool things about, especially in the acute care setting at the hospital, um, is that you know, there's a lot of people involved in patient care. So you come in, you have a nurse, you have a doctor, you have multiple doctors sometimes that are consulting these patients. You have a case manager, you have all these people, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech. How do you all collaborate? How do you all get on the same page? And it's so important that our team, my team, so PTs, OTs, and speech, that, that's who I'm manager over, um, you know, speaks up and talks to everyone because other, otherwise we don't have a voice. Like, we need to have a voice here. So one of the things that I think is really cool is that, um, you know, our hospital, like the doctors know us by name. We, we are consultants for the physical therapy aspect of these patients. So anytime a, a trauma comes in, I'm sorry, oh, you're not in video anyway. Sorry, excuse me for a second there. Um, uh, if a trauma comes in, we automatically get an order for us to consult them. And then it's up to us to really look at this chart and, and decide whether, you know, this patient's safe to see. Do we need to consult the doctor to make sure that they're stable? Um, do we need to um, talk about a plan? Do they need surgery? So oftentimes we'll get consults on these patients prior to them even having surgery on their broken hip. You know, that kind of thing. So um, it's a really cool way for us to be involved in their care um, as early as possible and decide when we can come in and, and, and safely treat them. That's something that's really interesting to me because it sounds like your clinical decision-making skills are pushed more in this setting, perhaps more than in anything else. You know, I mean, could you speak to how those have developed for you over the years? Yeah, it, you, have to, you have to be... Um, in their chart a lot, like on the medical side of things, you know, um, looking at their trends, you know, especially like I had the opportunity to do some critical care um, competency training for some of our therapists. I didn't, when I was here as a lead, I was more, I wasn't in the ICU a ton, but um, after becoming manager, I got more involved in what we train our therapists to work in the ICU. And it's really neat to go on their chart and really see what they're trending wise with their bed settings and, and understanding that, wow, you know, we got them up to a chair today. Maybe they, you know, weren't super active in their um, ability to like, you know, respond or participate, you know, too much, but their bed settings improved afterwards. So there's a real medical side to mobilization or, or it, it's looking at it a little bit differently. Because um, one of the things our, our hospital's big on is early mobilization in ICU. Um, so, having that knowledge of medical, you know, medical, um, you know, how, what, what medications are they on? How is that affecting them? Uh, what's their heart rate doing? What's their blood pressure doing? You know, watching, looking at trends a lot, looking at their labs. It's, it's like almost a daily thing that you really have to be um, monitoring. So it's, it's a really different side, uh, a different side, especially you're used to, you know, outpatient when they're just walking in and, and they're all, you know, pretty healthy. Um, you know, they can be really unstable. So even um, actively doing codes, we have a lot of therapists that, you know, are in the unfortunate situation that we're pulled into codes and things like that. So um, that kind of, you know, from 
from a trauma department, you know, that's kind of what you expect. Okay, so Kim, yeah, you really, you touched on a couple things that I thought were really interesting. One being the fact that you said PTs are kind of involved when somebody codes. I mean, that's, to me, that's, that's a really scary situation. And I feel like most people coming in or out of PT school probably don't ever imagine themselves in that situation. So it's crazy that you kind of have to be prepared for anything. And two, you touched on the early mobilization, like in ICU and a big thing that our professors have kind of told us is that PTs early on in their careers often are almost afraid to take their hands off of patients sometimes and get them to the edge of maybe falling if they're doing balance training or they just always got a tight grip on them right away. So how have you kind of gotten over the fear of maybe, you know, working with fragile patients and being afraid of maybe, you know, hurting them worse and being able to get them up and get them mobilizing, you know, get them walking around? Yeah, you know, that's where really a lot of the interdisciplinary team approach comes into play. You need to have the support of the doctor, the nurse that's treating the patient. Um, but once you get used to, you know, really looking at those vent settings and, and their labs and making sure there's a certain uh, level of stability, you know, that they really benefit from, from getting up and moving. Even if it's something as simple as sitting on the edge of the bed for 20 minutes or getting into a chair for a few hours. You know, the patient may not be able to participate a lot, but as soon as you get done with them, maybe the next day you come in and their vent settings have improved or they're breathing on their own more. So really, there's such a huge benefit to moving um, patients, um, even if they're not, you know, talking to you or, or able to do, you know, five reps of 10 on their legs or anything like that. Um, so we found that, you know, by mobilizing these patients in the ICU is at critical time, you know, really decreases their length of stay um, in the hospital in general, but also decreases their amount of time on a ventilator. So we do actively work with patients on vents and, and has found that the research really supports it. Um, I will tell you, though, when it comes to being nervous about it, it's just, you know, getting used to it. I, I've been in ICU. I've moved people around on vents and had to worry about all those lines and everything. And once you get used to it, it, it really just becomes more of a, you know, you're, you got to be confident in that. Hey, they're going to benefit from this, and this is going to be good for them overall. Because you got to think, like, if you're if you have a loved one in the in the hospital and in the ICU, would you really want them getting that? You know, laying in bed all day and not moving. You know, their their body needs to be upright. That's why we stand up and we walk and we sit up. We don't lay in bed. Um, so the lung function is really really important. So um, I'm really proud of my team for for pursuing it. I will tell you that when we started doing early move. Um, mobility, especially with those really critical patients, we got some pushback. But the more we did it, the more they saw the, the value in it. And now nurses are calling us to get patients up. You know, it's, it's really, we've seen such a huge trend in, in everybody being on board. And that's a cultural thing. That's, it takes time. It takes time for people to want to do that. You know, you're doing a really good job of reading my mind. I think that's the second time you've kind of started answering the next question I was going to ask. But I mean, I just kind of picture in a situation in my head, you know, if there's an older individual that is in the hospital ICU for whatever reason, and maybe they have a family member. I know you, there's not many. Can can family members visit in the ICU? We have one. One okay. per person right now. So do, have you ever run into a situation where maybe somebody's daughter or somebody's parent is like, hey, what do you mean you're going to walk with them? They're on a ventilator right now. You know, I feel like that could seem really foreign to a lot of people that have no idea that that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
um, family education in the ICU especially is a whole other component of working in the ICU. So a lot of times we do have to talk to family members about what we're doing, telling them what we're doing in state, talking to them about you know the benefits of doing stuff like that. Um, also keep in mind too, you know, a lot of those, all the meditations are on some type of sedative. So we call it a you know sedation vacation where we go in and we say, hey, um, what what medication are they on? You know, depending on what medication they they have, they'll, the nurse will turn it down. And oftentimes that's the first time the family member can really see them maybe open their eyes because they're they're on they're um, sedated on purpose. You know, because they're going to wake up and start pulling at things. So we do a control decrease of their sedatives in order to allow them to either start moving their arms, start moving their legs, maybe participate. I've seen some people go from being completely unresponsive to you know, opening their eyes and at least making some type of movement um, within a short period of time, depending on what medication they're on. So, so a lot of that education is super important, um, and uh, constantly reassuring the family members that they're there. Or some of them you might not even have to say, "Hey, it's probably better if you leave and then come back, and they're going to be in a chair." You know, maybe not there the whole thing. So. Uh, Kim, you were actively involved in the whole treating of COVID patients at your facility, weren't you? Yeah, so um, I I did not treat any. That was right around the time where I transitioned to this role, which was an interesting time to be manager because there was a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty at first. Um, but the one thing I think was that was really important is that we were, as a department, made a pretty, um, pretty a stance on basically that we are essential workers and that it those COVID patients need our our um, services. So I know in talking to a lot of my colleagues and a lot of my, um, um, you know, con connections just within the medical field, you know, some hospitals chose to, you know, not allow an an any ancillary service like PT or OT or anything like that to go into those rooms. But we were always an active uh, part of the team. Um, and even so now, we, we still have a COVID unit, we still have COVID patients. Um, we have, you know, some really sick, critical COVID patients that we still mobilize. Um, again, lung function is super important, especially with fighting COVID. So even getting someone, um, you know, up in a chair um, on a ventilator trying to fight off this COVID is, you know, just for a few hours, and then obviously they're proning and everything. Um, it was, it's been a lot. It's been an interesting year here. It's, it sounds like your facility is really respectful of the PT role. I mean, from everything you've been telling us, even just during normal times, you guys are so involved and they trust your judgment so much and during COVID too, to consider you essential workers and to have you in there with the patients. How much has that really impacted your practice? I mean, I think it's just, it's what you want. You know, we want to graduate and work in an environment where we're respected and our services are um, are important. You know, like they're, they're the doctors even, like I'm telling you, we, we actively round with them every morning. We talk about these critical patients and, um, and and make decisions and help. I mean, I'll tell you, actually, let me tell you this real quick. Um, I can't tell you how many times our therapist has actually found a fracture or something like that, like within their assessment. You know, people come in, things get missed. You have people who get in these terrible car accidents that have polytrauma, and we realize they have, a, you know, they have a broken shoulder, you know. They, there's, a, there's such an importance of us being thorough um, clinicians and being part of the team that, you know, and, and having that voice, like I said, to advocate for the patient because things get missed, you know, it's a, in the medical world, you got to be, 
you got to be really thorough. So, um, like I said, with any of those patients, even with COVID and everything, like, it was hard for us not to say, hey, mobilizing and exercising and strengthening, how that's part of the important role of their care. So, um, yeah, we, we've been in active, active in treating them and active being in the ICU and a lot of, I mean, I give it up to my team. There, everyone's so, been so great and looking at the research and everything surrounding it. Because everything was changing, like, all the time. We would get articles all the time. We're like, hey, this might, this technique might work. This might work, you know? Um, so it's been interesting. Could you kind of give us, shed some light on, because I know I'm not, I don't really know much about what is, like, some maybe some of that newer research with, I don't know if you were talking COVID patients specifically, but, like, what uh, are some of the, the recommendations, I guess, for treating COVID patients? Well, obviously the medical side of things, they've been using different medications and things like that. Um, they're definitely still proning, doing a proning schedule um, for those those critical patients. Um, we are part of that team that prones the really, you know, um, the really critical patients that they just need more manpower. So we'll go in there and help them with the proning positioning. But what we found is that um, you can be a little bit more lenient on getting patients that have COVID uh, up into a chair, um, despite their high vent settings. So a lot of times these patients need to be on really, really high settings, settings so high that you would maybe question whether they're stable enough to get up to a chair. But we found that with COVID specifically, you have a little bit more leeway and it's, it's more um, important for them to get upright um, than being laying flat on their back. Um, being on their t- stomach is obviously the best um, position for them. Um, but other than that, in that, in general, like we have a unit of COVID patients that are, um, you know, obviously not as critical, maybe not on the ventilator, and we still educate them on, on the prone position. We educate them on, you know, uh, pacing themselves, energy conservation, because a lot of times these patients will bottom out, their SpO2 will bottom out really quickly, so they really need that um, how to um, get strength get um, their lung function to be better, but also to pace themselves. Because sometimes, it can, gosh, we had patients that would like drop into the 70s and you would think that they were fine. Like they're standing there having conversations with you, but their SpO2 is really low. Um, so that's been really important in, in educating them on that. But um, overall, they gotta move. This COVID wants you to lay down flat on your back and just lay there and take, it takes over. So you have to fight it. So really getting um, the nurses even educated on mobilizing their patients or encouraging them to get up, getting out of bed. It's really, it's really important to do that while they're here um, trying to fight it off. So that's been the main thing, you know? Motion is lotion. That's right. (laughs) Movement is medicine. And I think it's so interesting too, is that like, I feel like a lot of people don't realize we have a role in this kind of setting because, you know, they when they think PT, it's like, oh, I sprained my ankle. Like, I need to go see the PT. But it's like, no, we work with patients of all different kinds of diseases and injuries and in all kinds of stages of their recovery. Um, do you think, how do you think we can kind of change that perception in society uh, to kind of bring more awareness to our role in healthcare? So, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of times people don't realize um, the role of PT or OT or speech or until they're actually in a situation where they need it. Um, gosh, I think just continuing to advocate for ourselves and our jobs and 
speaking to others and getting reaching out to the community. You know, um, I know that as a manager, I really want to do more stuff with community outreach, but 2020 has not allowed us to do that. I actually participated in a vaccine clinic last week um, that was really great to get out there, and, and our hospital sponsored it. It was really nice to just get out to the community. Um, but, gosh, it's just, you know, you get, okay, say you get like a four-year-old, gets in a car accident, has five broken ribs, a broken leg, and a broken arm, and the day after they get fixed from their surgery, a therapist walks into their room, and they're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? And um, educating them on like, hey, you know, this is a hospital stay, but you, they don't want you here as long as you don't want to be here. So we need to get you moving. We need to figure out how you're going to move from A to B. How are you going to get a home? What are you going to need? Well, you know, it's, it's so important. It's, it's really so important. So um, I think that really the, the best thing we can do is just keep talking about it and, and, and advocating for our role and getting the word out that um, I think I honestly think it's nice because it makes you feel like you know our jobs are so important. They really are. We're very lucky to be doing what we're doing. Um, and don't forget that either. You know, if I can say anything, not that I'm old, but to the, to everybody, is that I know everybody has bad days. You go and you work with patients, and sometimes they're not very grateful, or they tell you to you know go go wherever. Like they don't want to work with you, but every day that we work with someone, we're we're making them better, or we're we're impacting them, no matter what setting you're in whether it's they're walking in and, and they're repairing their shoulder or rotator cuff or whatever, or you have the guy I talked about who just had surgery and he needs to figure out how he's going to get himself on the toilet, you know, like it, there's so, it's such important stuff. Um, but it's really nice to be a part of this, you know, this it's, it's such a great field. So on the topic of community outreach, which you were kind of just touching on a little bit there, you told us before the podcast that you help run a nonprofit organization. Can you go ahead and talk about that a little bit, too? Yeah. So, um, you know, with everything uh, in my crazy life, um, I got involved um, in a nonprofit group of three ladies that I work with locally, and we actually run a music festival called Porch Fest, Stanford Porch Fest, and we raise money um, and funds for um, basically youth scholarships. And it's been crazy because it's such a passion project for all of us because we just wanted to do something uh, that we could bring to the community. It's basically a, an awesome community. Also give back. And um, the first year we did it, we made a thousand bucks and we were super excited and we wrote a check and got to provide scholarship for like a few kids to go to summer camp uh, for the arts. And then this year, this past year, we had a, just an unbelievable turnout and we raised $26,000. And we were able to actually give out um, some college scholarships in our in our name and within our nonprofit. And then also, um, support, 100% support a couple summer camps. So it's been really great. Um, I, I don't know, it's a year-long thing, so you know you find the time somehow to, to do it, but it's always nice to have something else to, um, to have um, and focus on. Um, I really, like I said, I really want to get the hospital involved in some more community outreach and things like that if, the, if that opportunity um, comes up. But, um, you know, doing stuff, giving back is also super important in, some, in whatever aspect you find, you know, to do it. I think we gotta clap it up, Kim. Woo! That's awesome. Twenty six thousand dollars. Do you guys still run that uh, pro bono clinic, or was that obviously two thousand twenty? But is that something that the students still do, right? We just opened it back up just recently, about a month ago, actually. Yeah, and we. That have... sounds so great. I love it. <laughs> 
we have a group of us to a couple of our professors and a group of the classmates we're going down to mexico this summer to do a service trip so we're going to be setting up a medical equipment exchange program down there treating some patients so we're really excited about that too yeah, it's so important just to do stuff like that, to give back um, in whatever way, because I feel like no matter what, like, even for most people, you can find something that you, that you have that you're lucky for, you know? So it's always so good to give back. Absolutely. Now, all right, Kim, so you you talked about your crazy life. How the heck do you balance all that? You got two young kids, you know, you're yeah. at management, the hospital, you're working on this community outreach nonprofit organization like how do you do it like do you sleep or do you you know what do you what do you sacrifice right <laughs> I have a really great husband who really supports me which is very helpful um I don't know I I don't think I would function if I didn't have a lot going on does that help my, I kind of run on a lot of on a lot of gears like I'm always looking for something else so I mean I think just my personality I am very organized I keep um um, I keep an agenda, <laughs> you know, like an old school one. I don't use my phone. I hate those. I have one where I use different color pens, and I kind of color coordinate my activities and things like that. Dave's smiling so, so hard really right helps, now. But, um, but I love it. I love, I'm, I'm very, like I said, I'm very fortunate, <laughs> and, and I love being busy and, and staying active and everything like that. So um, find what gives you joy, you know. If it doesn't give you joy, then don't do it. <laughs> I love it. Amen. I'm so just, happy because I have a color coded calendar of everything I gotta do each semester. <laughs> I gotta be honest, guys. It kind of it, it that's kind of gross to me. I'm too unorganized for that. We need to bridge it. We need to bridge the gap here. <laughs> Kim, did you always see yourself going into the setting that you're working in? Because you said that you got your um, bachelor's in sport and exercise science. Is that right? And then you're I an did. athlete. Yeah. No, you know what's funny is um, I didn't choose physical therapy based on sports. Even though um, I tore my ACL my sophomore year and I went through the whole rehab thing, my grandmother was, um, uh, when I was young, probably, gosh, I probably was in like elementary school. She had surgery on her spine. She had to get like some type of tumor removed. And it's crazy that I can't remember the details on what medically happened to her. But she was actually in a nursing home my whole entire middle school to high school life. And so I saw my grandma go through rehab. And I, we, in order to take her out, she lived in a nursing home, we had a flyboard transfer her to, to the car every time she was in a wheelchair. So I really grew up in, uh, surrounded by um, healthcare and, and visiting her and seeing her. And, and um, I think that's really where I got my interest primarily. So going to a nursing home when I first got out of school was comfortable for me. I was, I loved it. Like I said, I, I, I basically grew up going to visit my grandma in a nursing home. Um, but I would say that I would never have thought that I went, I would go to acute care. That, that kind of just happened. So, um, but again, I just kind of go roll the punches. You know, the opportunity came over, uh, came to come here, and I truly enjoy it. I think acute care is a really neat place to practice and. And um, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of interdisciplinary team, you know, in the hospital here that we get to work with. And we have a great, great culture. And it's it's just been really great. So I'm very happy um, where I'm at currently. So it's been very nice. <laughs> I 
That's awesome. So how do you think your rotations while you're in PT school kind of shaped you into the PT you are now? That's a really good question. Gosh. I had some rotations I loved. I had some rotations I didn't love. <laughs> I think it's nice because what you should always remember is when you're in your rotation, you know, depending on your clinical instructor, you know, you are taught from that person's perspective. But while you're being taught by that person, you need to take things that you like and make and make that your own. So I know, so I, I did take students before I started as manager. And I always told them, I'm not, I'm not training you to be me. You know, I'm training you to, to learn from me and then you to be you. So I hated it when I read someone's note and it sounded like I was writing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, I would. I had a, a couple CIs that that preferred that I was just being them, and then I had some that helped me realize, like, hey, no, I'm here to mentor you and you to be you. So I think that's really important as a student to understand. Like, obviously, you need to do what you need to do to get to pass and get a good grade, but take the things that you like and make it your own. Don't base who you are as a therapist on your CI. You know what I mean? But, and, and that's the thing, too, like once you start working and you pass your board, you're your own person. And then you really get to start to know yourself and who you are as a clinician and who you are as a therapist. Like um, those first couple years out of school is, is a huge learning um, experience. So I think that the, the clinicals are really are wonderful in the sense that you get to get a taste of it. But that first year of out of school, you really start to learn. And, and, and it's you now. It's on you. Um, so those are super important. And I will tell you, we have, uh, my hospital takes um, students, actually we got a Gannon student last year, um, an OT student, because we are in, we're near Ruston, which is only about two hours away. Um, and I think we have another Gannon student starting, I can't remember if it's PT or OT, but um, these clinicals are so important. You never know where you might need a connection. We take a lot of our students are, are, are now employees. So um, use these opportunities that you never know who, know someone or meet someone that one day will be at a different clinic and, and they could get you a job so use these opportunities to be to network and um and and like again a lot of students come through here and some of them i don't remember and some of them i do as a manager you know so really um try to make this connection make sure you're um you stand out in some way because it could help you in the long run as a manager what do you think makes a a uh, student physical therapist have a memorable connection with someone during their rotation? Gosh, even if they, even if it's just saying hi, like oh, my office is right where everybody comes in and does their, their chart reviews, and some of them just like walk really quickly past my office with their head down, just be outgoing, you know, say hello, get to know me, come in and say hi, you know, um, how are you doing today? Like, I don't know. Um, I can tell the ones that are, are, talking to the other therapists. So we have a we have an office where OTs and speech therapists are all kind of collaboratively sitting together. And some students, again, again kind of don't talk very much. And the other ones really engage in those conversations where they're talking about patient care, they're talking about their opinions on how to treat patients and things like that. So just be, you know, you're a student, but try to be part of the team. Try to, you know, voice, you know, voice your opinions and, and, and talk to the OT about what they did with the patient or um, what speech is doing with the patient. Because I think those conversations show 
you know, show that you're interested and you want to learn and gosh, be a sponge and soak up everything, you know? Um, that makes a difference for me though. It's just, it's just having a voice when you're a student, you know? So you're not the first person to actually talk about how just being outgoing and being, you know, open is probably like the best thing you could do as a student physical therapist and really as a therapist. Um, I think one of the pressures that I know I feel, and I'm sure everyone else feels, knowing that we're going to go into our first clinical rotations is like, you want to be able to prove that you know what you're doing right off the bat. Um, what do you think is more important? Do you think it's more important for a student physical therapist to to really know what they're talking about and, you know, without any question, or would you rather see them fail and just be really good communicators and mess up along the way, but, you know, kind of have their learning moments? Gosh, I think being humble is like super, it's super important to me as a person. And and when you're a student, like you don't, you don't know everything. Like there's a lot (laughs) out there. So I think just being, I don't think you have to prove anything. Does that make sense? I think you should just do your best and be ready for feedback whenever whenever they can give it to you because that because you don't want to come in your first week and think, and know everything you're not going to get anything out of the experience you need to have that um, you know hey I have a question hey I don't know I'm not sure I haven't been in this situation before what would you suggest I do I think that at the beginning that's appropriate you know because um, you need to see growth and the only way you're going to really get that way is is you know is learning um so that's the thing like obviously i think yeah if you know what you're doing go for it be aggressive but um be open to to making any mistakes or because really don't don't put yourself um don't put yourself through that where you you make one mistake and you're down about it you know what i mean you're a student that's okay this is what this is why we practice this you know i gosh i can't I have I have memories of of those practicals, and I, I hate to bring those up because I know they stress you out. I remember how much they stressed me out about about, but but really, a lot of times, you know, you go into these patients' rooms, especially like in acute care, and like I said, you don't know what you're going to get, and you just go for it, and you wait, and you you know you 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 make the best out of it, and you and you, you do what you can. Um, so. Don't get down if you feel vulnerable, if you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, you know? Just go for it. <laughs> I love just it. Don't well, do anything that scares me, yeah. honestly. But. <laughs> Thank you, Kim, because I mean, I know that always, like, just hearing that kind of takes a, feel like a weight off my shoulders, you know, because obviously we're going to make mistakes, yeah. and that's, I feel like we learn better when we make mistakes, you know? It's something that if you mess something up, you're never going to mess it up again, right? And you know that now. Yeah. Don't anticipate when a student comes in that they're going to be perfect. So, and, and know that because I know you guys want to do well. They know you want to do well, but you're here to learn, you know. And there's there's so much to learn. Gosh, I'm still learning all the time. Right, it's kind you of know? a lifelong you know? learner. Yep. It is. It really is. And all of us are, are lifelong learners because there's so much new research, all this new stuff, new styles, new techniques. Gosh, there's so much. So sometimes even when I have I sometimes well thank you kim so much i mean you gave us so much valuable information that was awesome do you have any parting words before we wrap it up gosh i don't know i just i just want to say that i'm so grateful for the 
we start in the clinic yeah, it's game day, it's game day. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> all right kim i want to say thank you again this was great can't thank you enough and yeah. you know i hope maybe we'll get to speak again in the future because this was awesome yeah. great Thanks. all right bye-bye thank, thank you, you kim you.